If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries Audible books in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, self development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash replay and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Currently, I am listening to the classic One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Okay, that's、This、genius. Go to audible.com slash replay. That's audible.com slash replay and get started today. Thank you for coming. I know it was a long trip.、Um, curious what you think, because I, I know you've talked for a long time about trying to orient Gawker towards Facebook specifically. You thought Facebook was very important.、Uh, Chris sat here and said, Facebook's not trying to devour the world. As someone who is a web publisher who depends on Facebook for a lot of traffic, do, does that sound right to you? You, um, you mentioned that John Herman piece,、yeah. which,、uh, which everyone should read. It's great. It's great. All. We've now given John two. And the position of various offerings, whether it's media offerings or retail offerings on, on AOL.、Um, it's, the, it's obviously a mobile environment. It's, it's hard to switch out of an app. Once you're in an app,、uh, you don't really want to move out of it. Um, I think Chris is being probably a little bit disingenuous that there is a concentration of activity happening on fewer and fewer apps.、Um, once you, you get a phone, you download a whole bunch of apps,、uh, you find yourself using more,、um, some of them more.、Uh, I should have had you on stage with Chris, we just said moderated the conversation. <laughs> but, but so, given that you think it's incredibly important to be on, on mobile and, and have a position within Facebook and certain other apps, Um, you're a big publisher, but you're not the biggest. How are you, how are you sort of orienting yourself in that world? I, mean, I think every, every publisher has to make a choice、uh, and make a choice as to whether they're going to be, I mean, ultimately, make a choice as to whether they're going to be a content provider、uh, within somebody else's ecosystem, on somebody else's platform, and subject to somebody else's algorithm, somebody else's rules, <laughs> or whether they want to. Provide a full interactive news, interactive media experience, which involves not being vertically integrated and not just simply putting out the content, but actually controlling the interaction experience. So, where are you on that, on that, on that decision making process? <clears throat> well, I mean, I mean our, our websites are more interactive than most news websites, and that we've had such a strong emphasis on comments for so long. <laughs> and、uh, a major draw of our sites is the discussion. Even if you don't like an article,、uh, you can skip down to the bottom, and the chances are you'll find something interesting. And we've put、um, a strong emphasis on interaction between readers and writers in, in those comments. So you think you can exist as your own entity on Gawker.com and the other websites?、Um, and, and even though you're going to get a lot of traffic from Facebook and maybe Snapchat or whoever down the road, maybe not. 
um, you can survive as an independent website publisher? I think anyone who's been in the web publishing business for for a while, as long as as long as you have, as long as it takes to remember Yahoo and how important Yahoo was. I mean, I remember party, a, a party uh, in LA at Ariana Huffington's house as we were trying to schmooze Yahoo for position on Yahoo, um, in Yahoo News. Uh, that was a pattern. It is a pattern. Uh, it's we, cyclical. We, someone else is going to come AOL, up. AOL, Yahoo, Dig, Facebook. Facebook is clearly the strongest and most powerful of them all. I and mean, one shouldn't just include them uh, in that list with, with no distinction. And they are the most powerful. Uh, they've been the strongest source of, source of traffic uh, for us and for most publishers. Uh, we can't afford to be dependent on them because we'll, we have something that we want to do and that requires us to be independent, not just simply financially independent, um, but independent of other platforms. So let's back up a little bit. You, you, you were someone who sort of helped create I don't know, what's the, what the, almost the current sort of web playbook, or at least mm -hmm. up until this year. Um, you, you, you built up Gawker first and then a whole series of other blogs, sort of lightweight, um, um, you didn't overstaff them, they were conversational and funny and provocative. Um, and for a while it sort of seemed like you had figured out the web playbook. Um, and from a distance it looks like a bunch of people have read your playbook and said, we're going to do the same thing, we're going to spend more money, do it faster, better. Do you feel like and I'm thinking of sites like BuzzFeed. Um, do you think like the people that have sort of learned what you figured out how to do are now moving faster than you and ahead of you? I, th I think there are a, a, at least a couple of different web playbooks, uh, and one of the playbooks is definitely <clears throat> viral videos, stunts, quizzes, listicles, uh, with Facebook as the primary distribution mechanism uh, for those. I mean, I, <sighs> I look at media as being a spectrum. It has always been a spectrum and will always be a spectrum with information at the one end and entertainment at the other end. I mean, my background before the internet was I was at the Financial Times and I was at The Economist. <coughs> you have op operated most of your existence at the information end of the, of the spectrum. Now, it's a spectrum. We, we made a whole bunch of traffic from Facebook, from the Ice Bucket Challenge and from our reports on that, so it's not like we're completely pure and completely information-centric, um, but we do have a mission to explain, um, to promote understanding, uh, and BuzzFeed too has... Is, is that how you, is that at your core you think that's your, your mission? I, I, I think we are conversational media, it's light and it's funny, um, but we, try, we are trying through interaction between writers and readers um, trying to actually get closer to the truth. So yes, I do believe that's a, a goal. This is sort of a, we've talked about it, we've talked about this personally and on the internet as well, there's sort of an old Nick and a new Nick Denton, and, and the old Nick Denton wouldn't say things like trying to find the truth. He would say, I think, I just want to find something that's interesting that people <coughs> are going to read. You started off, Gawker was originally sort of a very Manhattan media-centric thing, and you quite intentionally made that broader and broader and wanted to reach more and more people. And, and the idea of Trying to find truths would seem foreign. You know, my view is that gossip is truth. The gossip is news. Gossip is the news that you actually want to read, um, that actually explains to you how things really work, not just the, like, not the headlines and not the stories that are often the result of negotiation between journalists and 
sources and companies um, where there's so much behind the scenes that the reader is actually really not a, aware of. Uh, the gossip, take the Sony hack story, uh, where we were very much, well, some BuzzFeed were very much in the lead uh, on that. That was gossip at its very best, at its most revealing. What was important about publishing contents of the, the Sony hacked emails? Well, for a start, I thought it, it explained to me why Hollywood movies are so bad so often. Really? That was news to you? Well, but they were so bad, that was Look, not... Look, I read a bunch of them. They were super interesting to me, but it was hard for me to argue that, that we were doing important work there. If you, actually, if you, if you, you read those emails between Amy Pascal and um, Scott Rudin, and the pandering to actors, the double dealing, the, the creative work. Again, fascinating, but that can't possibly be news to you. You're a sophisticated person. And I think for most people, it was just gawking at someone's laundry. But the best kind of news is the kind of, the, the kind of thing that you always suspected was true. Well, you always wonder, why are they so bad? Like, why are uh, certain roles pumped up for certain actors um, to the point that the, mu the movie itself suffers? And I, I found it completely revealing and news in the sense that, yes, I suspected there was something along those lines, and it absolutely confirmed why it was such a dysfunctional industry. So this has always been something you've done, right? You've, you've shown people stuff that's interesting that a lot of traditional publishers wouldn't touch. They all wanted to read about well, it I mean, or so, write about so, it. The Sony case was a great example because you know, that, that was partly great journalism by our team, but it was also the reluctance of news outlets like the New York Times to cover that story Maybe because it was, they felt that they were dealing in stolen goods, or but they were hacked, okay writing about hacked, you doing hacked it. goods. Yeah, they they waited until we had reported it before um, that that provided them with a justification to and go you ahead. Had and, and, and I think that is the that's the essential advantage that we have, uh, and that we continue to have, uh, which is that we are not we don't depend on access and relationships to the extent that um, a lot of journalistic organizations do. So you've always done versions of this. You said you published a sex tape and everyone gawks at it. Then you found a sort of a, in addition to the fact that it drove a lot of page views, right? Like Hulk Hogan's sex tape, I don't think, really shed the light on anything. Um, but you'll find an interesting explanation. Are you, are you, are you, sure, are you sure about that? I mean, maybe I watched the wrong part. Um, no, um, it, it, no, it says that if you, if, you look at, if you look at the tagline for Deadspin, Deadspin, our sports site, uh, which uh, harries ESPN uh, and revealed the Manti Teo yep. girlfriend story. Uh, it says sports news without access, favor, or discretion. The most critical part of that is the access part. That is that the, the fact that we are not dependent on official sources, on relationships with ESPN, the NFL, means that we are free to cover the great stories that readers want, um, that they share, not necessarily always on Facebook, but sometimes these are stories that they don't want to share on Facebook. You're intentionally setting yourself up as an outsider, even though you're now a very big company. We are not as big as we'd like to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, how, many, how many readers do you have? Uh, we're about 120 million. 120 million, yeah. so depending on whose numbers you're looking at, that's no, you look, in the same look, ballpark. Look, it, 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 is, it is absolutely core to our efficiency as a business. Gorka, Gorka has three-digit million yeah. audience with single-digit million invested capital. So the, the, the amount of money that I put in, that we put in, in order to build the company up 
um, to $45 million in revenue and 120 million people um, is actually kind of minimal compared with, usually the ratio is the other way around. It's, right. it's like three digits. So why not go raise a bunch more money? Uh, why not go try to uh, uh, approach the hyper growth you've seen from people like BuzzFeed or Vice? I mean, I know you sort of watch them and go, you know, I mean, there must be some degree of jealousy when you see those sites sort of zoom past you. You know, investment is, it, it hangs over you. Uh, I, I, I raised money once for a company before. I had very, very good investors. But I read that you're outraising now? What? You're outraising money now? No. That's we're, not true. We're, we're, we're talking about debt financing. We're not taking on any equity. Um, we intend to maintain this business as an independent business. Uh, I run it now in a partnership with six colleagues. Uh, the company is very closely held. About 90% of the, nearly 90% of the shares are held by insiders. Uh, and we're run as a partnership. Uh, I don't know whether that's the only way to run a media company. It's certainly the case that media companies in the past have uh, often been privately or family held. Uh, that has provided them with a basis for independent journalism. It seems to be a sustainable model within traditional media. My, my bet is that there won't be one approach only in internet media, and there will be su substantial advantages to being different from the others. We've already, we've already seen those advantages, and we will continue to. It seems like you've, uh, in some ways, in the, your messaging, um, you wrote a post about uh, uh, getting a new office that I wrote about last fall. Uh -huh. Serious work. Uh, but there you were sort of describing yourself as being sort of a bastion of independent journalism. Um, and again, that seemed like sort of a new way for you to think about yourself and position yourself. Um, is it important for you to sort of see yourself as separate from the BuzzFeeds of the world or, or the bigger web publishers that you're sort of on the outside? I think it's important for us, and it has been important for us since the beginning, to see ourselves as being um, outsiders or having the perspective of outsiders. Because readers have the perspective of outsiders. They, they, they read about or view. They have very little idea what's going on. Certainly, they have very little idea how these pieces were constructed. Um, and our primary obligation is to them. So, 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 we're, so we're not totally in, independent. We're dependent on readers, and we're dependent on the advertisers that are drawn by those young, upscale, and rather numerous readers. I want to ask about advertisers. You published something yesterday. Uh, uh, one of your writers ran a screed about Coke and how dumb they were. And it was a prank that you guys had pulled on Coke and a viral thing they wanted to uh -huh. do. A rather funny prank. Pretty funny. And, um, and then you responded. I, I had it written down. What was the name of the post you wrote in response to your writer's post about brands? I, mean, I, I, th I think I just took the headline that he wrote and, and turned it, was, it around. It was basically a defense of brands. You said brands are good. Yeah. Or can be good. Can be good. Um, we should like them. You're dumb, right? I think you used the word puerile, among other, other words, to describe it. I've been looking for an opportunity to use that word for a while. Uh, so first of all, we'll do it in two parts. One, why, what's the upside of insulting your employees uh, on your own website? Uh, that's called joshing. Yeah. Uh, in Gorka language, that's, that's joshing. Yeah. No it's, big it's, deal. It's, it's they Sam, give it to you. That's Sam Biddle, former editor of Valleywag, who yep. has, has if, if you've read him, doled it out frequently. and He can to, take it. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and also, we're, we're the kind of organization, I, I don't know what kind of organizations we're talking about now, because uh, no organization is monolithic. On, online, when, if you're a media organization, if you believe in transparency, if you believe that in letting it all hang out, 
in having frank conversations, in disagreeing with people in public and being cool with it, then there's no reason why we shouldn't um, apply the same logic to our internal discussion. That's also part of your brand, right? You yeah, let it all absolutely. hang out and cool with it. And then why do brands need defending? Why? Because among, and I'm not saying all millennials, but certainly among the kind of more liberal-leaning, left-leaning millennials, there is a lot of skepticism about the consumer economy. Um, and now maybe they're just disparaging towards older brands and not newer brands. They're kind of, they're still into, they're totally into Snapchat, but maybe not into Coca-Cola. Um, so, so there is that. I, I thought the point needed to be, I disagreed with his piece. And so I wanted to, to write my own view. The same writer this summer uh, waded into something called Gamergate, mm -hmm. which is a bunch of... Yeah, how would you, how would you actually describe I, 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 I don't I, do I'm, a good job of describing I, I, I've it. tried a lot myself and always failed. Uh, um, mm -hmm. It's a bunch of people who are angry, in theory, about ethics and video game journalism, but they're not. They're angry about something else. And, and Sam waded into it, upset a bunch of them to enough that, that there ended up being an advertiser blowback for you. Mm -hmm. You lost advertising because of that. And then at some point, Sam stopped writing for Valleywag. Were those things connected? Did you have him stop writing for Valleywag because of that? No, I mean, it was... You I said mean, out loud to your staff that he cost you it, seven it, figures in, in advertising. Yeah. So when that happens... We do, not, do? We, we, we do not fire people for expressing their opinions. Even if it costs you money? Yes. Do you do other things then to, to change? It seems like there were, it seems like you made changes because of that incident and the response to that. I mean, I disagree with him publicly in writing. Um, but no, we, we are an organization that prides, people talk, internet media conferences, everyone is talking about, they're talking about tonnage of audience. They're talking about, they're not talking about individual writers, they're talking about editorial operations as, Produces like a factory producing kind of content. The, the, it seems to me rather soulless. Uh, I, I don't subscribe to it. And the view I have of journalism is that yes, it is journalism, and that the business comes as a result of communicating honestly, frankly, um, to readers to appeal to them, bring them in, and then sell advertising. It, it's maybe too simplistic a view, but I've always believed if Simple's you. Good. Put on a good enough show and you'll make enough money. You, you are someone who has spent years talking about, obsessing about, boring a lot of people about uh, comments. Yeah. Very important to you. Um, there's a lot of people who've looked at the internet comments and said, you know what, this is just not working. Uh, our site is one of them. We stopped doing comments. You, you spent a ton of time and money doing it. Why is it important to publish readers' comments on your websites? It, it's called interactive media. It's not, not media, it's interactive media. Uh, you're supposed to be able to touch it and it's supposed to be able to talk back to you and you're supposed to be able to talk to it. And I, I don't see how interactive media, media can have any real meaning unless there is interaction between writers What if and it turns out that that interaction's happening on Facebook or Twitter? Why does it have to happen on your website? Is it happening on Facebook? There's people tweeting at me today, I tweeted back. One of them complained about an interview, I found him, I talked to him. <coughs> I, I, I like Facebook and I like Twitter for their respective qualities, but I don't find the, my friends and family do not always supply me the news that I most want to read, and they're not even necessarily the best conversation partners about that news. Um, I, I love my sister very much. 
What about your weak ties, which are, I guess, your old college roommate? Or that's, that's what Chris was talking about, I right? Don't think that, I don't think they're much better. I'm, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. I, I, news should be an aspirational... Uh, if, if, if you're at the information end of the spectrum, at the entertainment end of the spectrum, that's a different matter. Now, there, maybe your friends and family are, are, are perfectly appropriate conduits for, uh, for viral videos. But at the information end of the spectrum, it's, it's about self-improvement. It's about, it's about understanding, improving your own understanding. And maybe the people that you want to get signals from um, are not necessarily even people you know. Maybe you want to be following people you'd like to get to know or whose thinking you'd like to get to know. We so so I, I believe in the, an aspirational social network for content uh, and not a, a democratic one. We had, uh, we had Zay Frank from BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed's kind of become a video company. We had Mark Thompson. I think you weren't there for this one as well. Video's a huge focus. For I'm, I'm, I'm never sure what BuzzFeed is. Like, but if, if, if this what do you is, think it is? If this is the year of video, then they're a video company. Video is very important to many people. They're all spending a lot of time either figuring it out or trying to figure yeah. it out or hoping they can figure it out. It doesn't seem very important to you when I go to your sites. They don't seem video-centric. It doesn't seem like you make your own video unless I'm missing it. About 50% about of our top posts are video-driven. Um, Which means what? It means there's a video embedded it, somewhere it means on the page. The, the video is kind of the heart of the, is the, heart of the post. So there's some text around it, but the video is the, heart, is the heart of the post. But do you make your own video? I don't think so. Right? We, we, we make a little bit, but not... We, I've never, to this point, we have some ideas for this year, but generally, whether it came to, when it, whether it come, came to a mobile app or whether it's video, we wait until we have a good idea uh, and a good revenue model uh, before we uh, pursue strategies because we are independent and because we are profitable and we'd like to maintain that status and because we're not in the business of frittering away tens of millions of dollars of venture capital money on the latest fad. Means you can't, it means you're less likely to experiment though, right? You, there's stuff that you're well, not going to figure that's, out. That's, that's true. That, that, that is part of the cost. So what do you think video might look like for you? I think it's more likely to be Gorka clips than Gorka motion pictures, for instance. So that our approach to video is, is, is a bloggy approach. Uh, how do you describe the early blogs as kind of conversational and kind of light, light and mm -hmm. tight? And so that, that's, our, that's our approach to video. We, I, I don't particularly believe in talking heads uh, on video. Do you think it'll be stuff I, that I, you make or is it stuff that other people make and then maybe you talk about that seems like a more Gawker-like approach? We, we will be doing more lightweight making of videos during the course of this year. And then uh, you, I was going to say, I don't think there's a Gawker mobile app. Is, is there, are there, are there Deadspin apps or Gawker apps? As, as with video, uh, we are waiting until our idea is solid enough to move forward. I'm, I'm very glad that we didn't do an app uh, just when the first advertisers came with a couple hundred thousand dollars right. to sponsor apps. So we're several cycles into it. Do you think you'll get to it eventually? Do you think you're just going to wait long enough and it turns out apps won't be I, I, th I think that will be this year. This year, we're going to see some Gawker-sponsored apps. Not Gawker. Or Gawker-type uh, Gawker uh, apps. An app Gawker. through which you'll be able to consume all the Gawker content, yeah. And, in, and most importantly, interact with it. And will this be all the Gawker brands or one of them? Uh, I'd, I'd probably said as much as I should right now. I'm, I'm about to look over and see Aaron or Andrew, yeah, who are going to be shaking their heads and saying, stop now before you... One, one thing you pushed away. into this year, or the last couple of years, is, is what you call commerce. Yeah. Um, I think other people would say it's not commerce, it's just affiliate links. But, but you're getting money from people 
from, from people who sell stuff on your site. Can mm -hmm. you talk about how you sort of evolved into that business? Yeah, this is a project that Aaron Pettigrew um, led, and it's been a tremendous success for us. Uh, we drove about $100 million worth of business to our commerce partners last year. Uh, that was roughly double the previous year, and the growth continues. It's um, so these are links in regular posts, these are sponsored posts, all of the above? It, it can be it, links in editorial posts, it can be deals, posts. Um, we, we obviously have a significant advantage in that we have properties such as Gizmodo uh, covering gadgets and Lifehacker. That lend themselves to affiliate links. Um, but I, I actually think we benefit. This is a, one of those rare cases on the internet where virtue is rewarded. That um, because our writers are independent and because they only say what they believe, um, that they are more credible. And because they are more credible, that the, um, the performance of promotions, commercial pro promotions on our sites tends to do better than the industry average, significantly better than, than the one, industry One of your protégés, Brian Lamb, who did Gizmodo, went out and bought, built himself a very yeah. cool uh, um, wire cutter uh, business based purely on reviews. And Absolutely. Did that influence your thinking? Does that influence it? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think what we've done influenced his thinking and probably what he's done as right, a Brian's here, thinking. so you guys can talk about this later, who I influenced too. Um, but, 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 it, but it has been, that, that actually was the original revenue model for Gorka Media. Before we thought that brand advertising would actually turn into anything. Yeah. And so it is gratifying to see that finally it is actually com it is coming good and coming, coming good in a big way. And I, I think it's going to be a very exciting thing for, for all media. I, I'm actually, I'm, actually, I'm with Mark Andreessen on this one, that, uh, that I believe that the media sector as a whole is poised for really remarkable growth over the next five or 10 years. Right. And I think, it's gonna, I think it's gonna suck up large parts of what had been seen traditionally as retail. Um, I wanna ask you the same question I asked a bunch of other folks. What responsibility do you have for the stuff you publish and for the people who work for you who publish that stuff in terms of their safety? You publish some of the Charlie Hebdo uh, cartoons and you had a police car parked in front of your office for a day or two. How much do you think about that in terms of day-to-day, -day, what you publish, what you occasionally don't publish? Uh, that was a very special case. I, I think I mean, that was probably the most risky thing that we published. How much discussion published. did you have about that? The editor published that site, uh, that, that, that post. You woke up and looked and it was up. There was, there, was, there was no discussion. And did you think maybe we should take this down? No. no. Who's got questions for Nick? Okay. Um, Start over here. Hey. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to um, the performance of Kinja. I know that there was some press around um, it not performing as well um, or meeting expectations um, and just wanted to get a little bit more of your thinking about how you guys are approaching that. Um, specifically with respect to sort of allowing brandability and customization for the individual blogs that you guys support? And um, just wondering if you could Can we explain what Kinja is to the audience. <clears throat> so, Kinja is our publishing platform, um, which we rolled out, uh, I guess it was two years ago. Um, I mean, it was, yeah, two years ago. Uh, the successful parts, I mean, I'd say we're not at the summit, but we are at the, at, at the base camp. Uh, we, the successful parts so far, have been that we've actually got the, the rudiments of the social network. Mm -hmm. So we actually have proper user identity, ability to follow, block, uh, to recommend. We have very strong signals. If you actually look on 
I think it was about, we get about three million uh, recommends for like actions a month. Uh, on Someone the, described this to me, because like, I've always been confused about what it is. It's sort of yeah. your version of Tumblr, right? Where people can sort of create their own sort of posts using your platform. But, you know, what, what, it, what it is, is what any, every single media company needs to do if it actually has any aspirations whatsoever of any independent existence. Uh, to be some kind of platform, to have user identity, and to allow users to connect with writers and each other. Um, so I think it's a, it's a precondition. Uh, it's actually a big benefit of it being independent. Uh, if I think if we'd had if we'd had investors, the pressure would have been greater to deliver, and it would have, the pressure for us to change course would have been greater. I, I'm committed to the course. We're committed to the course. I think the platform is absolutely essential. I think the signals that we already see from recommends are going to be tremendously useful in driving personalization. Uh, and it's also given us the ability to start up sub-sites on an entrepreneurial basis within the company. So, for instance, um, I don't know whether you've seen Adequate Man, <clears throat> which is a, a subsection of Deadspin, our sports site. So, so Deadspin, our sports site, has often had kind of men's magazine-style content, but we've never really had a home for it. And it, it was, it's very easy spontaneously now for writers and editors to, to set up sites to experiment on the fly on the fly and we can invest in the ones that work and then cut the ones that don't does that answer your question yeah thank you thank you over here Aaron. hi um hey. in that blog post about sam biddle uh, you talked about how gawker was going through an exercise in self-definition with a branding agency uh could you talk about why Gawker needs to do that, and also what you might have learned from that process? <clears throat> I mean, generally, uh, I, I, used to, I, I used to run the company way too much as a kind of one-man band, uh, and too much of the ideas and the branding and the philosophy would be either in my head or in a whole bunch of pieces that I would write, memos, essays, responses to Sam Biddle. Uh, and we, uh, we're 300 people, and we have ambitions to be much larger. Uh, and it's essential in that circumstance for everybody to be on the same page. And so even if it's tedious, and sometimes it is kind of tedious for me, but even if it's tedious, it's a, it's a wonderful exercise in actually getting not just the management team, but key members of the staff to all speak about the company in the same way. So, so sorry, what's the self-definition that you learned from that? Uh, we are an open marketplace for ideas. That sounds very, <laughs> very branded. Good branding. Who's your branding agency? Uh, I'm not saying. All right. <laughs> Hi, this is Ryan Lawler from TechCrunch. Um, wondering what happened with Ballywag, why you decided to bring it back, what happened with Sam and Natasha, why you thought Dan Lyons was the right guy to run it when no one else did, and 45 days later, um, how you reflect on that and what happens next. Uh, Tommy Craggs and the editorial team are, uh, I think, going to be like, pretty close to naming a replacement for Dan. <coughs> Dan, actually, Again, I... we'll broaden it for the audience. Ballywag is your... Oh, sorry. Ballywag is our tech gossip site. Uh, the, uh, the bane of Silicon Valley at, at times. D Dan Lyons uh, for, was fake Steve Jobs. He was the one who, the guy who wrote the diary of the 
uh, of the Apple, the fake diary of the Apple boss. Uh, you know, it's, the internet's a tough crowd, and uh, I, I think Dan Lyons was maybe out of practice of deal, uh, dealing or didn't know how to, as well as younger, more hardened reporters, how to deal with Twitter. You, you made a point several times of talking about how important it was for you to have Dan, who was in his 50s, be part of Gawker, and that was part of the diversity you wanted. You wanted people of different yeah, races, I, gender, social backgrounds, and age. You brought up several times how great it was to have this older guy working there. Yeah. Um, so in retrospect, does that mean maybe you do have to be younger to work at, at Gawker or the internet in general? We're going to try again. Um, you, you've mentioned a couple times your desire and, ambitious, and ambitions to get bigger. So what, what are the things that you do to get bigger? <clears throat> well, I mean, we get bigger just by continuing to do what we do right now. Our, our compound revenue growth rate is 30% a year and has, I mean, it's last eight years, it's compound rate of 30%. Uh, we, our commerce, I think, has the potential. I mean, I don't know what the cap is on commerce uh, for us. Uh, it's, I don't know whether we'll necessarily double again this year. Um, but the growth rate is extremely strong, uh, and our audience seem very, our readers seem very willing to transact with us. And the, the entire internet media sector is, I mean, the online media sector is tiny. Uh, we, we, sh we should not forget that the, uh, all the companies like ours that have been sold have been sold for collectively less than a billion dollars. A pathetic amount of money compared with the transactions for WhatsApp or... You know, it's half an Oculus. What? It's half an Oculus. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that kind of embarrassing? We should be in the VR <laughs> business. I, I, I take... We make all that money off... Um, well, a large part of that money off desktop brand advertising. Uh, while mobile is 60% of plus of our uniques and commerce has a tremendous potential to grow. So uh, I, I think the on, the on the one hand, it's bad news that the online media sector is so kind of impoverished that <clears throat> like even a company like BuzzFeed, which is probably the most successful exemplar of online media right now, uh, is after, whatever, eight, nine years doing $100 million in revenue. In another industry, that would not be seen as being that impressive. I think the potential for growth from this point on is substantially larger than the growth that we've seen. Last question, we'll make it short. Yeah, could you just talk about the relative difference uh, between Twitter and Facebook as a distribution platform for your stories, and is it surprising you that I think Twitter is kind of flattening out in terms of users? Is, is it still as important to you? <clears throat> I think t Twitter is certainly important, an important signal for our journalists. Uh, because Twitter often reflects the opinions and the preferences of other journalists and influencers. So to the extent that you believe, as we do, that there is a premium media market, that there is such a thing as influence, uh, and that, that absolute raw numbers, the kind of raw numbers that you get from Facebook, aren't everything, uh, then Twitter remains, even though it's insignificant in terms of traffic, it remains very important. Uh, for like to develop our thinking and to get our stories to the people who 
Whose opinion, frankly, we care about the most? When Twitter's management says, we want to be as big as Facebook, we want to reach all the world's users, do you think that's plausible, or, or are they misguided? I think it would be disappointing for them to have that aim, because Facebook already exists, and it would be nice for Twitter to perform some other function. Uh, and it would be useful, I think, for in media for, to, for there to be a platform for influence and intelligence, um, and not just for scale. Awesome. On that note, we're going to leave it there. Thanks, Nick. Thanks.